Thank you for listening to the Alliance Church Podcast. We desire to connect you with God and one another, whether here in Wisconsin or around the world. Let's listen into this week's message. All right, so my question for you this morning is, have you ever had someone in your life who you know is just flat out against you? When I was in the Navy, uh, as a new guy on my ship, I had to do something that all new sailors have to do. It's called cranking. And this is where you spend three months working on the mess decks, which is the cafeteria. Uh, and, and you got to do all the dirty jobs, the sweeping, the swabbing, the taking out the trash, the uh, washing dishes, the wiping tables, and so on. And my boss during that period of time was this crusty, crotchety old cook. And the first, my first month, he put me on one of the worst jobs. Not the worst job, but one of the worst jobs. It was the scullery. And this is where you wash the dishes. And it, it's, it's steamy and it's hot and you're sweating and you're working nonstop on your feet 14 hours a day. I mean, as soon as you get done with all the pots, pans, and dishes from breakfast, the lunch ones start rolling in. And no sooner are those done that the dinner uh, dishes start rolling in. And then the late feed for the guys who are on watch during dinner, you get the picture. And, you know, I just tried to make the best of it. You know, I show up, work hard. Uh, show up on time, have a good attitude. And after a month, I was rewarded for all my hard work with a nice little demotion down to the worst job I could have gotten. The, the only one that was worse than the scullery, and that was the, that was the trash room. You know, this is a place I, just, I discovered what my calling was not. Uh, the, the trash room, this is where you take all the trash on, this, on the ship, and you sort it, and you process it, and it's just stunk and it was gross and like at the end of the day my coveralls would just be caked and they would stink so bad I'd have to hang them outside because the other guys in my birthing would go they couldn't even stand the smell of them they'd be like Hillstead oh my goodness what is wrong with you and uh you know but you know here's what I did for that that second month I kept up the good attitude and the hard work and because I had my eyes on a cushy job the, the, the guy who had the easy job, which was managing the pantry, I, know, I knew he was going to finish his time a month uh, before I would. And so at that point, you know, I'd be the senior guy. I, I put in the hard work. I, uh, you know, I had the good attitude and I, uh, you know, would have put, uh, put my time in. So I knew that job would be mine. And so the day he finished up and uh, I showed up expecting this cushy job, you know, I, I, you know, I'm going, I'm just like full of uh, anticipation because like you stay clean, the, the work isn't too hard, it's not too sweaty. And I show up and I, and I say to the cook, I say, uh, all right, hey, do I get that, uh, I get the pantry job, right? And he goes, ah, I'm going to keep you in the trash room. <laughs> and I was like, well, are you kidding me? After everything, I kind of lost it. I finally said, what, what is your deal? And he goes, I just don't like you. <laughs> and now, because of everything I'd been going through, uh, I had pretty much drawn that conclusion. Uh, but now my, uh, my suspicion had been confirmed. This guy just, just doesn't like me. He's against me. He's not for me. And so here's the deal. When we go through hard things in life, 
we often draw that same conclusion about God, don't we? You know, whether it's physical suffering or financial struggle or prolonged mental health battles, mistreatment, injustice, whatever the nature of the hardship is, we go through it long enough and we can start thinking, maybe God just doesn't like me. Maybe he's, he's, he's against, maybe he doesn't care about me. Maybe he's not even there. Or worse, maybe he is there and he's punishing me. And that's why I'm going through this or that hard thing. A hardship has a way of making us think that God is against us. Well, here's the deal. The gospel message of what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ tells a much different story, a much better story. In the passage of scripture we're going to look at today, um, Paul will explain, the apostle Paul will explain that no matter what you experience in this life, if you belong to Christ, God is unwaveringly for you, not against you. So what I want to do is read this passage. It's Romans 8, 31 through 39. I'm going to read it through, and then I'm going to pray. And when I pray, I challenge you to pray with me in your heart and just say, God, if you want me to hear something today, help me to hear it. And we'll look at it a little more closely. And, and here's my only goal for you, is that you would leave here with a, with a confident knowledge of the truth that in Christ, God is for you not against you. So here it is. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written... For your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord endures forever. So would you pray with me now about this? Lord, for everyone in this room, life has no shortage of hardships. Sometimes when... when when we're being browned down by whatever the struggle might be, we can start to wonder if you're really there, if you're really with us, if you're, and if you're really for us, or are you against us? But if we understand the words of your servant Paul here, 
we know that in Christ, that is not the case. I ask God that you would use today to unmask any false belief we have regarding your love for us. I pray that you would speak, Lord, both to people who love you and to people who don't. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what's going on in this passage? Paul starts off by, by saying in verse 31, what then shall we say to these things? Or what should we say concerning these things or about these things in light of these things? So we got to ask, what on earth are these things? Well, over the last eight chapters, Paul has been laboring diligently with his pen to explain a number of things, a big, big concept we call the gospel, which basically he establishes some things like, because of our sin, we are all guilty before God. None of us are innocent before God. Whether we know it or not, because of our sin, we're guilty. And the chief crime that we're guilty of, Paul explains, is the crime of rejecting God himself and saying, I, I don't want you in my life. I don't want you to have anything to do with my life. I want to live it my way. And when we reject God like that, Paul explains that there's, there's no amount of right living. There's no amount of being a good person. There's no amount of keeping the religious rules that can earn any of us an innocent verdict. Once we reject him and we, we go our own way in life, we're guilty of rejecting him. And then Paul will explain as well that we're lost and that we're, we're on the wrong path. We're on a path that's headed to death and not to life. And now if you understand Paul correctly, he will also explain that lost does not mean worthless. Paul doesn't believe in a worthless scum theology of human beings. He, we still mean everything to God. He loves us, according to Paul, even when we're still his enemies. He loves us to the point Here's what he did. He took the matter of forgiving our guilt into his own hands. And how did he do that? Paul explains he did it by sending his son, Jesus, and who, who would live a perfect life. I mean, a perfectly innocent life. It's a life I could never live. I don't know about you, but I could never live that. And then this innocent Jesus takes all of our guilt upon his own shoulders and he died the death for us. The death we were headed for, he died it in our place. And then uh, he didn't stay in the tomb that he was laid in. He rose from the dead. And that proved that he is victorious over death. That he conquered that death. And that he, if you will, holds the keys of life means that he alone is able to give us eternal life. And he's eager to give human beings that life. Eager. He'll give it to anyone who believes in him. And he offers forgiveness of sin. He offers a restored relationship with God. And so when you personally trust in Jesus alone, no one else can do this for you. 
But when you personally trust in Jesus alone for your salvation, you're saved. His sacrifice is credited to your account. Your debt is paid. God declares you innocent. And more than that, as if it could get better, he adopts you into his family and he calls you a son or a daughter. And he invites you into a relationship of love and fellowship with himself. It's like he gives you a seat at his table at family dinner every single night for the rest of eternity. And and then his spirit comes and he dwells in you and he he begins to give the life of Christ, the, the life that Christ purchased on the cross, and he begins to infuse that into, into, your, into your mortal body. And he seals you, as it were, for eternity. And here's the deal. None of that is based on your performance. None of it is based on your ability to be good enough. It's all based on what Jesus did on the cross. And all you need to do is have faith in him. Trust him enough to give him your life. Is that you? If not, I would urge you to seriously consider these things. Because if that's not you, then everything else Paul's about to say doesn't apply to you. But it can. And that if, if that is you, Paul then says, verse 31... What then shall we say to these things? And here's here's his conclusion. Here's what we have to say. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, the if there, it doesn't imply any uncertainty. It doesn't uh, imply that there are conditions. It's just a rhetorical way of saying, since God is for us, because God is for us, Nothing or no, no one, no person, no, no thing, no force in all of creation can ultimately succeed in being against us. If God's for us, ain't nothing can take us down. So when you look at the cross and you understand its message, what you do is you learn a very important truth. And that is, no matter what you're going through, you know, come, come hell or high water, high tides and low tides, no matter what you're going through, God is for you. And now I'm going to move through the rest of the text, but I just invite you to, for a few minutes, just cherish the cross with me. And I'm going to highlight uh, three distinct implications of this cross-centered truth that in Christ, God is so for us. The first uh, thing the cross says to us here is that you never again have to question God's benevolence toward you. You never again, if you understand the message of the cross, you never again have to question whether or not God is kind-hearted toward you. Here's a question. When you think of God, you personally, does he have a cold-hearted, angry, tight-fisted, attitude towards you or is his posture towards you kind compassionate charitable loving generous 
Where do you think Paul points any Christian who's wrestling with that reality, who's wrestling with that question? Look at verse 32. Here's where Paul points you and me today if we're wrestling with those questions. Verse 32, he says, he who did not spare his own son. See, he points to the cross. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all thanks? You know what Paul says? He says, you ever wonder if if God has a kind, benevolent, generous heart towards you, just look to the cross. He didn't even spare his son. This is an argument from greater to lesser. If, if God gave the supreme gift of his son to save us, he will certainly give us whatever is necessary to finish the job that he started on the cross. That he, will he not also with him give, graciously give us? That word means to freely give. It means God will freely give you whatever is necessary for you to make it from the starting line of faith all the way to the finish line of heaven. You sin, he will freely give more forgiveness. You lose heart, he will freely give encouragement. You lose your way, he will freely give loving correction. You find yourself weak spiritually, weak in your faith, weak in your emotions. He will give you strength to keep following him. So do you feel that God has ill will toward you? The cross says you never again need to doubt that that's not the case. The cross says you never again need to doubt that God is benevolent toward you. The second thing I want us to see is that the cross says you never again need to live in fear of God's courtroom. Do you view God as this, this angry judge who's just ready to condemn you? Eager. Well, I'll tell you, if you're currently rejecting Christ, you should fear his courtroom. But he's not eager to condemn you. Actually, you are condemned. And he sent his son to save you from that condemnation. Would you accept that salvation? Are you currently accepting that salvation because if you're someone who accepts the salvation of the son paul says you you never need to live in fear of god's courtroom ever again verse 33 who shall bring any charge against god's elect think about this who can bring any charge any any credible accusation he says it's god who justifies justify means makes innocent he says, Paul's saying, if, if God is the one who has made you innocent in his courtroom and there's no, higher, there's no higher authority than God, there's no higher court, there's no higher uh, um, 
you know, judge or anything. If, if he has made you innocent in his courtroom, if he is the one who has declared you forgiven and free, who's going to bring any accusation against you that'll change his mind? No one can reverse that verdict. God is the one who has declared you innocent. Verse 34, who is to condemn Who's going to condemn you? I believe the Greek reads like this. Is Jesus, is Christ Jesus going to condemn you? Let's think of this. Jesus, the one who died on the cross for you? More than that, who was raised from the dead for you? who is the one who's at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for you, the great high priest who went through all of that for you and who knows that you're going through it and he gets it because he went through it himself and therefore he is compassionate for you and he is now standing in the presence of the Father continually beseeching him to send you help. Do you really think that Jesus is going to condemn you? Is there any part of you that's afraid of God's condemnation? The cross says that if you're in Christ, you never again need to live in fear of God's courtroom. Never again. Third thing I want you to see here is that the cross says you never again have to doubt God's love for you. Here's a question. What are the circumstances in life that lead you or even could lead you to ask the question, does God actually love me? Or does God actually love me personally? What would you have to go through to end up asking, asking that question? Look at verse 35. Paul said, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? How is there any way that we get cut off from the love of Christ? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. Some pretty harsh stuff listed up there, isn't there? It's pretty harsh stuff he mentions. And I, I assume that you're faced with the diversity of hardship. I know I'm not going through anything that rough. I got my own struggles for sure. Maybe you resonate with one of those words. But what Paul is asking is, should any of these things give us reason to conclude that we have been separated from Christ's love? Should going through any of that hard stuff he pretty much lists it, uh, you know, pretty, pretty uh, comprehensive list there. Should going through any of that stuff lead you to the point where you can substantially draw the conclusion that I think I've actually been cut off from God's love? I'm just curious. What do you think is the answer to Paul's rhetorical question? No. In fact, he says, you know what? The Bible tells us this stuff's going to happen. 
verse 36. He says, as it is written, check this out. He's like, you guys, you guys went to you know, Sunday school, right? Saturday school back then. You guys know this memory verse, Psalm 44, 22. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We're uh, regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The first century Christians were killed uh, and en masse uh, in large numbers. And it's like Paul's saying, you guys, you guys know the psalmist said this was going to be part of the equation. We know from the scriptures that suffering, even violent suffering, is a part of it. So do you think that any of those things have separated or will separate you from the love of Christ? Paul is saying, don't interpret it like that. Verse 37, he says, no. In all these things... We are more than conquerors. We don't, just, we don't just conquer through these things. We don't just have victory. We have more than victory through these things. We, do, we, we more than conquer through these things. Uh, I don't even know what that means. I don't know how you, it's like conquer seems like 100%. I don't know how you could more than conquer, but I think he's trying to make a point. And all these things, we're more than victorious through him who loved us. And he goes on to say, verse 38 and 39, listen to this. For I am sure. So you might, you might disagree with this theology, but you're never going to talk Paul out of it. He is so convinced that what he is about to say is the gospel truth. I am sure that Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor, listen to this, anything else in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know that it falls under the category of anything else in all creation. And Paul says, none of that has separated you or will separate you from the love of God. God loves you. In Christ, it's, I just, church, this is my challenge to you this week. This week, would you just know, would you just know that in Christ, God is unwaveringly for you, not against you. So when you know that, it makes it a little bit easier to just sit back and receive God's unconditional love for us in Christ. So church, this week, would you just know what the cross teaches is that God is for you in Christ. Would you pray with me? I, I don't even know how to respond, Lord, uh, to this truth that there's, there's, there's literally no sword sharp enough in all of creation that could sever us from your love. And that doesn't mean that we will always feel your love. 
It just means that whether we feel it or not, that's the truth, that it's there. And I ask God that you would work in my heart, that you would work in all of our hearts to be able to receive that love. Fill us up with the love that's flowing out of you. Would you help us to return it to you well? Would you help that love flow through us to other people? This unconditional love that is ours in Christ. And if there's anyone in here, Lord, who has a hard heart to you, would you soften their heart now? Would you strengthen their faith in you? And would you help them to know and to experience your love? We thank you for your cross, Jesus. We thank you for your love. We thank you that no matter what we're going through, we know that we know that we know that you are for us. I pray this all in your name, Jesus. Amen. And now may God, according to the riches of his glory, grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. May God richly bless you, church. We'll see you next Sunday. Have a great week.